if there i mean if atlantis was actually a thing which it might be i don't know but you know this could be considered slightly racist you know just <laughs> oh what because i'm atlantean i'm a fish person what because <laughs> i swim to work i can't be you know proud of who i, I don't know <laughs> anyway Michelangelo here, you know, the master of the whirling pizzas. And you, my friend, are listening to Turtle Flakes, a bodacious bowl of Ninja Turtles goodness, brought to you by my radical dudes, Rob and John. Cowabunga! Cowabunga, dudes who do that's, and welcome to another episode of Turtle Flakes, episode 118, I hope. I hope that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I, I can't even, I'm losing count, man. I'm losing count. Uh, but yeah, I am your your lowly co-host Rob, and joining with me as always is the cheese to my pizza, Mr. Josh O'Rourke. That that, that that doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good at all. I did that. No. Sa- it sounded it was cool in my head, but uh, yeah, ugh. pineapple to my pizza. No, it's still. You weird. said. I mean, you're, you're like the cheese on my pizza. I was like, it sounds like we're dating. I don't really know. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> I mean, I like you. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. You're, I mean, you're, you're a good friend of mine. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, thanks, buddy. You too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Off to a great start today. <laughs> Listeners, I don't know if you know this, but now Rob is like all clean shaven and he's hitting on me now. He's calling me his cheesy bread and all that. <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well, guys, I'll tell you what. Today is going to be a fun one because, um, you know, we had a little bit of change in plans. We were supposed to talk to Sophie Campbell this week. She, she unfortunately couldn't do it this week, but hopefully next week we're going to have her on. But that we, left. We honestly didn't know we were scheduling an interview with a comic book creator on Comic Con. Comic Con, yeah, in San Diego. We <laughs> that was forgot. kind of our fault. We didn't realize it. <laughs> That's true. That's well, it's mainly my fault because uh, you know I I was what I reached out. So yeah, that was me. <laughs> I don't know Sophie Campbell, but she could have said maybe next week. <laughs> <laughs> or this is like the busiest week of her year. Why don't we do it next week? Or she could have just said, "Get lost." You know that that's uh... yeah. <laughs> acceptable you know considering it's us be on that show josh watches power rangers i'm not being on that show <laughs> well uh yeah so that actually freed up some space for us to finally uh share our answers for the the uh dan Berger interview and guys you are in for a treat this man has been wonderful in, in divulging so much interesting stuff about how things worked at mirage studios how he got into um you know helping create some archie comics and and also, I think he touches on uh, some of the stuff he did uh, for Volume 4, at least Tales of the TMNT Volume 2. So that is all coming up. And we wanted to kind of dedicate this whole episode to to him. There was only one bummer about the whole situation is we were hoping to do a comic review uh, along with this interview. And Josh does have the debut comic of Murdude from Archie. It was a Mutanimals crossover, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, the Mighty Mutanimals issue seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Josh has that. Unfortunately, I do not. I thought I did. I looked at my collection. I do not have that one. And then also there was a uh, a mini series in '93 that was a three issue story arc uh, called 
I think it was the TMNT Meet Murdude. I, th- I think that might be what it's called. Mm. And they're still relatively cheap. You can find them on my comic shop for pretty pretty cheap prices. We're going to try to save up and, and get that and maybe dedicate a whole episode to that issue or that story arc. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're, we're excited to, to um, talk about that uh, here in the hopefully near future. Uh, yeah, I'm just, just excited to talk about the answers. And we got a toy review coming up. Uh, but we also have a lot of other things to to talk about uh, this week. Some major things have happened. Josh is sitting on a secret that I, he says I'll be pretty excited about regarding the comics, so I'm, I'm pumped up about that. Uh, so let me go ahead and just get these links out of the way, and uh, we will uh, hit the ground running here. So uh, if you want to send us an email, our email address is turtleflakespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter, at turtleflakes, all one word. And we do have a growing Facebook group page. Um, it's really nice to see you know more people joining in in the conversations. It's facebook.com slash groups slash turtleflakes. We do have a TurtleCom hotline. If you um, heard the last episode, um, we talked about maybe doing a um, Turtle Bowl uh, every year where we just have an entire episode dedicated to messages left on the turtle com hotline you can basically talk about anything ninja turtles you want favorite christmas memories birthday memories with the turtles just anything you want anything that's on your mind even if it's current uh, or classic it does not matter to us that number is 865-309-4875 just leave us a message let us know it's for the turtle bowl and if it's not i'll play it on the next episode I want to give a big slice of pizza to our friends, uh, Mark Pellegrini, who does a blog dedicated to pretty much every comic that the Turtles ever did. It's tmntentity.blogspot.com. And another friend of the show, Anthony Hernandez, a.k.a. Batbomb82, has his own family-friendly YouTube show dedicated to the Ninja Turtles and to action figures in general. It's uh, His channel is called Totally Tubular Turtle Tuesday. Uh, BJ Hahn, another great friend of the show, has her own um, artwork page. It's facebook.com slash oodles of doodles by BJ. And that's B-E-E-J-A-Y. We're proud partners of the Retro Junkies Network. It's just a family-friendly network of retro podcasts at theretrojunkies.com. And lastly, we are proud partners of the Retro Gaming Times magazine, um, who they just released their July issue not too long ago, and uh, really great stuff. It's all free. There's uh, over a decade of classic issues, all free to download. Uh, the website is classicplastic.net slash TRT. And as far as announcements go, Sophie Campbell will be on the next show, I think, hopefully. Body Count, the image book done by Kevin Eastman, the very, very violent image book from what I've seen. I can't wait to actually read it. It came out late in June, and I just talked to my local comic book guy, and he ordered it for me. So I'll have it next, hopefully, by the beginning of August. Uh, but I just want to let you all know that it is out. Um, IDW, uh, or I'm sorry, Image Issue 2 and 3, they're, they're already out now, so we're already behind on covering those. <laughs> Story of our lives. Um, and here's the biggest thing uh, that I wanted to definitely mention. Our Podomatic feed is going away in August. Josh Witt has rebuilt the Turtle Flakes website. And he is he has found a way to I guess do all the hosting through that exact website. So we really don't need the Podomatic feed anymore. But I noticed that we still have probably uh, I'd, I'd hope maybe around a quarter of our listeners still subscribe to the Podomatic feed. I just want to let you all know um, that uh, I'm probably going to do an announcement on that feed as well. Uh, just just letting you all know that you might ha- need to resubscribe. You know we're certainly not going anywhere. So if you don't hear any updates chances are you need to resubscribe to the show and we we apologize for the inconvenience there but uh 
yeah, we're just kind of moving some things over, trying to save some money where where we can there, because hosting is certainly not cheap, and uh, you know we're we're getting up there, you know, tr- hitting the triple digits with episodes. So yeah, you know, I, I don't certainly don't want to lose any listeners just because of a little mix up there. So again, that's August first. I'll be deleting the Potomatic feed, so we will have just this feed you're listening to now. All right, so the question of the day, real quick, is what is your favorite TMNT book that Dan Berger was involved with? Um, for me, I knew Dan Berger from, oh, what was it? Um, vol- the Tales of the TMNT Volume 2. I remember seeing his name all over that, but uh, yeah, that's a question for you guys, so feel free to write in. We'd love to hear your, uh, love to read your responses on the show. So, uh, Turtle Pickups, if you got any, Josh, what are they? Um, let's see here. Actually, you know what? I'm going to show off. I said I wasn't going to buy these, and I bought them anyway. So. <laughs> That's, yeah, why do you keep kidding yourself, Josh? We all know you're going to buy them. I don't know. Shut up. <laughs> so, anyway. Okay, so, here we go. Right here. Can you see these? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, these are the mu- TMNT Mutations Bebop and Rocksteady. I bought these so I could have human versions of Bebop and Rocksteady. <laughs> And he's just so cool. Like, he turns into a warthog. It's awesome. You know, it's just... <laughs> oh, do they transform? Yes, they do. You open them up here, and you flip their head. I don't want to do that because they're old. So <laughs> they came like this. They're staying like this. But, yeah, you open up their torso, which is a horrifying thing to do, and you flip their heads over, and you open up their arms at the forearm, and you flip their arms over. Um, yeah, and they, all, they come with weapons that even mutate. Like, uh, Rocksteady has a... Uh, a um, a lunchbox with a thermos that turns into a cannon. <laughs> it's just <laughs> weird. But uh, yeah, so these are they're pretty cool. I like yeah, these. Yeah, yeah. Were they were they pretty uh, expensive or pretty cheap? Um, no, they were fine. I got, I didn't I didn't mind spending the money on them. They were like thirty bucks a piece, mm-hmm. you know. But I got them in box, so that's that's the difference. So I got I got them in box for about thirty. Um. Bebop was less expensive because he was actually a reissue around 1996 under the uh, uh, Ninja Power banner, which I didn't know about. I didn't Ninja either. Power was the banner that they had where they wanted to re-release the mutations and the super mutants and things like that, things of that nature. And then the Rocksteady one was actually an original uh, mutations action figure and the old mutation figures actually came in a big box that had a flip open top with mm. a clear uh, plastic uh, bubble in there so you could see into the box and see the figure and everything that came with instructions and everything and it's pretty cool you know I, I've, I've still got the I, I saved the cards and everything so I've got everything down here yeah I was uh, about to ask you if you if you kind of like keep the cards in a binder or something like that to kind of go through when you're doing your reviews yeah, I, I've got I've got a folder of them right down here actually next to my bed where I record, and I've got the box for the mutations Rocksteady downstairs uh, under my desk. So yeah, it's uh, some pretty cool figures. I really like them. Uh, they did kind of race swap Bebop because he's white and in the cartoon he was black. Oh yeah, yeah. But whatever, I, I don't really. It's called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm not really asking for much when the name is that. So, <laughs> oh, uh, good stuff. They are huge figures, though. They're like really like they're sca- Like they're just as tall as everything else. I think maybe a little bit, maybe God, a little bit close. Smaller. Yeah, close. But they're huge. Like look how thick that dude is. He must work out. 
Yeah, he must. Yeah, and he's still got like abs and everything. It's like you're not that big and you got abs. <laughs> but like they do that because they have to make room on the inside because they're hollow on the inside for the most part. So you can flip the head around because this whole thing opens up like a clamshell and you just like rotate the two. It's got two heads and you rotate them. Wow, that's cool. Uh, yeah, and they're they're pretty cool. I like them. I kind of think of them as reformed bebop and rock study, so they're not criminals anymore. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. Hey, they they were kind of a later release than the original figure, so maybe they are good guys. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I am kind of considering. They also made a Shredder and Splinter uh, mutations figures, where Splinter uh, mutates or uh, demutates into uh, Hamato Yoshi. And yeah, I've Sh- actually got that one in the box. Yeah. Oh, that one's. I, I'm thinking about getting that one. I might. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent yet. Yeah, they're not too uh, awful expensive. I think I only paid about 20 for that in box. Well, the Shredder one, the Shred, uh, Orokusaki mutates into the Shredder. Not mutates, but he puts his armor on. Yeah. Basically, that's what it is. That one I'm seeing for like. 70 bucks wow no kidding. and i'm only finding box copies of them so it's that one that one might be that one might be a while before i get it yeah um, yeah uh so but i really I, I i don't know it just kind of occurred to me a couple of days ago when i was looking at these like i'd kind of like to at least get a rokusaki you oh, know yeah. at least in like the one thing i really liked about the 2003 series is that shredder would walk around at least in the early season he would walk around all the time without his armor on mm-hmm. and uh, that's the one complaint I have with the 2012 <laughs> series of Shredder when it's like this dude wears his armor in the shower, you know, <laughs> he's, he's always it. in that. It's like, how do you, how have you haven't eaten in 19 years? Have you? It's yeah. just <laughs> whatever. Oh, that's great. Well, 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 congratulations on the figures, man. I, yeah. I did get a, a couple of pickups this week and, um, I mentioned this on the, uh, Ninja Turtles group page or the, uh, the Turtle Flakes group page that, uh, I got the backpack that I always wanted to get and mm-hmm. um, uh, the little water bottle. You know, they, they didn't come together, but, boy, that, that is the early 90s to a T. The backpack is, like, this vibrant purple. It's got, like, the little locker inside, you know, where you could stick your maybe thermos on the top your shelf. Your pocket. <laughs> kind of, yeah. yeah. There's just enough room to, for you to put your books on the bottom of it or your, your turtle's lunchbox, whatever it might be. I paid – I kind of paid about – I think the seller wanted fifty. I offered thirty, and he took it. But the the shipping was about ten bucks, so it was about forty dollars. He, he made up for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thirty uh, bucks, no problem. Twenty dollars shipping. Twenty dollars <laughs> shipping, exactly. Uh, and then I got a little water bottle for it. It's a neon pink uh, water bottle, the hot pink water bottle uh, <laughs> that says Calabunga on it. But it's in really good condition. It wasn't really scratched up or anything. Even came with the bendy straw, so uh, hey, there you go, there you go. You, you know what you should do is you should have your backpack, your water bottle, and your turtles, your old school turtles lunchbox. Yeah, and that's what you should take to school with you the for, the day you go back to <laughs> school. Just sit in the classroom while like, all the kids. Are there. I am Mr. Luther, and everyone was like, "Get out of here! What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I should like sh- just shave the beard off and just sit there in the middle of class and kind of act like I'm a student. And then all of a sudden, halfway through, I'm like, everyone's like, where's Mr. Luther? Where's Mr. Luther? I'm like, I'm Mr. Luther. Scare them all. All of a sudden, it's like that movie, The Substitute. So. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, that'd be funny. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was it for me as far as pickups, except for, you know, the um, image. I think I got image issue two and issue three and IDW 83 uh, just came out. So, yeah. Yeah. So some good stuff this week. All right, Hoser, you had a couple things you wanted to talk about real quick. Yeah, so uh, this being, by the time you listen to this, uh, listeners, uh, Comic-Con will have already come and gone, 
But as of yesterday, it was the second day of Comic-Con. Um, so let's see, today is Saturday the 21st. Uh, last night, on Friday night, the 20th, it was Nickelodeon's Ninja Turtles panel. Or maybe it was just a whole Nickelodeon panel, and it was just the Ninja Turtles segment that I paid attention to. <laughs> but they, uh, for obvious reasons, but they um, had their big Ninja Turtle uh reveal of the first footage of the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series along with the premiere of the of the release date which will be September 17th on Nickelodeon. So for people like me that means on September 18th I can download it on iTunes. So that's what I <laughs> So on the 18th for me, 17th for everybody else. Um so yeah, we got to see our first first real footage of an excerpt of an episode where they had a trailer and then they showed like a minute, minute and a half of an episode. And it was this really cool, really funny um, uh, little scene of the Ninja Turtles rappelling down uh, into a pool on top of a hotel building or on top (laughs) of a hotel. And they completely uh, uh, just slide over like a mafia boss's birthday party or something like that and they completely don't even notice all of these criminals all gathering around and they just jump into a swimming pool and i just thought that was hilarious because you you need to remember that the turtles are basically kids and they don't always notice everything so that's true yeah you know that that's a big part of it josh I, i i like that you brought that up i have to fight uh what i'm what i'm used to and my bias uh, yeah. and give this this uh you know a fair shot here and that's what I'm that's what I'm going to definitely try to do but for the, for those who you're like oh my gosh this is radically different just give it a, just give it a try first uh, yeah. and, and also remember you know this is a kids show and and the turtles are just young teenagers you know in this show yeah. like like you just said Josh so uh it's goofy it's quirky it's definitely got a ton of humor and it actually made me laugh out loud a few times during the trailer yeah. So I, I'm keeping an open mind, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see the premiere. I really am. One thing that you should remember is there was a quote by Douglas Adams. He wrote the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about, I don't know if the movie was out at this time, if he was still alive for the movie to be to be out. Because um, I know he's no longer with us. But um, they asked Douglas Adams what his thoughts of them making a movie of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and making it different because the mediums of the written word and film are so vastly different. Um, And what Douglas Adams basically said was, I don't want to see the same thing twice. Ah, true. And what he was saying was, if you make a movie about my book, make it different. Make it as different as you want, but have the core of that book be the same. So yeah, like, it was yeah. all about adaptation. He he was very literal in the use of adaptation, the word adaptation, where it should be different. It is supposed to be, by its very definition, it is supposed to be different. It's almost like a grapevine conversation mm-hmm. where one person is across the room and they have to tell you something without being able to get to you, so they tell 30 different people. <laughs> and, like, the original message is, you know... You're just like, hey, man, let's go get pizza. And after 30 people, you hear rubber baby buggy bumpers. I don't know. (laughs) And, you know, that's really what the Ninja Turtles are. It's like the Mirage comics is the original intention and vision. And then 
from the first animated series to the Archie Adventure comic books to the 2003 series to Next Mutation to TMNT 2007 to, to the uh, Platinum Dunes reboot to the IDW comics, there is this huge, distinct conversation happening where things are get where parts of the narrative are being changed. You know, so it's right. just, it it's it, that's it's natural. Let it happen, people. It's fine. Yeah, well, you know, that that's the thing that I think you really hit the nail on the head there. It, it, so long as the core is still there, so long as the heart is still there, that is my big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Now, they, I think they've kind of messed with the core a little bit, but, well, maybe not even the core. I think they've just changed dynamics. They've changed the team dynamics, yeah. It, yes, yes, a yeah. little bit. And uh, that's what people can't get over. It's like, why is Raphael the, re- the leader? And why is Leonardo so just carefree? Right, which is different, which is uncomfortable yeah. because that's something we're not used to because all throughout the mediums, that, like you just said, there's still the distinct core that Leonardo is the leader. This mm-hmm. is the first time they've really messed with that, that dynamic. And I understand some, some people are a little apprehensive about it. But, you know, again, I'd give it a shot. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same. And you know what? It might be one of those, those – gutsy moves that actually works you know the, the every now and then you got to take a risk to change things up yeah and this could be certainly one of them you know there was a backlash about the animation but you know what the animations have changed in every medium of, of the turtles on tv it's just what you're used to and, and what you like and and um that's not going to really change the narrative of the story yeah uh, so yeah really excited to see it so september and you know and what's oh, what, september 17th september 17th and what's really dumb is I've I've said this a million times is all these people that are just yelling and crying and being babies about all how much about how everything has changed they're gonna watch it anyway. <laughs> it's kind of like people hate The Walking Dead and they keep watching it. You know, it's just, you by this time you want to complain about Rise of the Ninja Turtles. So. <laughs> well, it's fortunately it's the popular thing to do right now. But yeah, I, I've been to a lot of group pages that that are giving it a shot and uh yeah. you know that's that's nice to know that it's it's the vocal minority it's kind of like the whole star wars argument like every oh, sure everybody sure. apparently hates the last jedi but it made like over a billion dollars it's like the transformer movies <laughs> yeah it's like the transformers <laughs> those movies are to me are bad but there are people that have spent six billion dollars on those movies and apparently there's an audience yeah oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> except for the last movie the last movie was like the first dud Oh, was that the the la- um the the night one? Yeah, the last nights. Yeah, last night. Yeah. Yeah, which even though that had a hook, I haven't seen the movie, but from what I heard, like there was a hook to that story that was like so intriguing to me because at the end of the spoilers, but like at the end of the movie, you find out that the planet Earth is Unicron. Oh, wow! And he's transforming. That's what earthquakes and global warming are. That makes apparently. sense. Yeah, I was like, well. Okay, that's kind of cool. Let let's see what happens. And then the t- the one time I was like, "Hey, man, that sounds cool." The movie failed. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine. That's how it goes but, for you. <laughs> but Bumblebee looks good. Yeah, you know? yeah, it looks good. I think he's getting his own comic too. So that that's uh, just... yeah, of course. Yeah, IDW's <laughs> gonna put out a, a tie-in. Oh yeah, you got to. Anyway, so, and you know you should. It's common practice by now. Mm-hmm. But speaking it's of comic IDW, practice, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh-huh. Go shave. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so speaking of IDW and comic practices, um, 
Uh, so it was also announced yesterday that there is a brand new miniseries coming in 2019 from writer and artist Mattias Santaluco. Oh, wow. I am getting ready to edit a couple seconds out of this because I am going to send sure. you a picture here. Okay. And well, because good. because it's awesome and I should do it. So here we go. <laughs> Oh, that was the Santa Luca one. Yeah, I saw a yeah. picture of it. Yeah. Okay, so this was the announcement yesterday. Manny of Santa Luca is writing and I almost said writing and directing, writing and drawing a miniseries called Shredder in Hell. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's just that sounds like the best eighties Kurt Russell movie ever. So what Shredder in what the uh, little profile on it is is this is the synopsis from IDW.com, IDWpublishing.com. So it's straight from the source. Uh, Shredder in Hell, the latest chapter in the IDW's groundbreaking TMNT saga, sinks into the nightmarish pits of the afterlife, where the infamous leader of the Foot Clan struggles to survive, and in the process, Shredder discovers his true purpose, as well as the origins of the great beings responsible for both destruction and creation in his world. So it's basically Shredder kung fuing his way through hell figuring <laughs> out what the pantheon has in store for him see that i find that so fascinating because one idw has done a marvelous job of of making shredder have some human aspects to him you know some <laughs> some human good guy elements to him and this one obviously he's probably going to be the guy you root for you know he's the protagonist of this story i'm pretty well, sure we're rooting for worse. the demons if anyone's worse than Shredder, it's got to be Satan, right? Right, you would think so, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and even toward the end, um, you know, spoilers now, I think it was issue 50 where Shredder died. Uh, yeah, it was a year ago. We're good. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. There were some human elements to it. There was a mutual respect, and I loved the dynamic between him and Hamato Yoshi when they were actually friends before, you know, everything went to... What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No pun intended there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like you saw, like right before he committed uh, seppuku, uh, yeah. he realized that he messed up and yeah. messed his whole life up and he messed up everyone else's lives. And it was just kind of like, crap. <laughs> yeah, like where did this go wrong? You know, he kind of got lost in the madness of time. And, and uh, you see that he wasn't always a stereotypical baddie. You know, he, he, there, was a, there was a human element to him that misguided as, as – he might have been that eventually evolved into the horrible man he became, but he wasn't always that way. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of think that he was just given like way too much power, and he was told from a very early age that you don't understand, you're going to be great, yeah. everyone is going to bow down to you, and he just kind of, you know, just kind of eventually he started believing it. Yeah, you're right, you're right. But yeah, that I mean, I think that sounds really cool. So. You might have already mentioned it, but was there an exact date when that's coming out? All I know is next year. That's it. So. Okay. All right. Excellent. And I think that's uh... – now, does Santa Luca write the secret history of the Foot Clan or was that yeah, somebody he, else? He, he wrote the – he wrote and drew the secret history of the Foot Clan. So, like, this dude knows Shredder. Oh, know? cool. Cool. Uh, I'm excited, man. That'll that'll be really interesting. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the artwork, but I didn't piece together that it was Santa Luca. Uh, so really, really cool. His name is right there. I know. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I, I just looked at Shredder and all the skulls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looks pretty cool. All right. Uh, so shall we jump in? Oh, actually, you have a toy review for us, a very topical toy review for us. Oh, yeah. Hey, 
Did she say pizza? So you live in an antique store? Yep. Pizza. Well, above, actually. Well, I was going to give you guys a tour of the store. Ready? Okay, so in the interest of time, I'll try to keep this as brief as I can. Oh, no problem. Um, so actually, what I'm going to review today is the Murdude action figure that was released back in 1992. I believe Check his it butt. Maybe it's written on his butt or his oh. shoe. That's a good point, yeah. Oh, here we go. Okay. Oh, I can't see it. <laughs> Getting old, Josh. <laughs> 1992. 92. No, it's the color of the plastic. Oh, Shut up. yeah. All right. The old color old. of the plastic bit. Yeah, the old <laughs> color of the plastic. The color of the old plastic. Oh, so, there you go. <laughs> uh, which is, that's reputable. But So anyway, this is Murdude, the king of the seven seas. I guess he's Atlantean. I don't know if it's Atlantis or anything that he actually is resides over, but he's king of all the oceans, apparently. We should have read the comic. Jeez, I feel horrible. Well, the com- I mean, much was, as, as you know, much was the practice back in the day, the comic origin often differed from the action figure origin. So, like, when I review toys, that's the origin I go by. You know, so... Oh, interesting. Which is what the toy uh, gives you, because they are different characters. And it was like, in the comic book, they were all... Um, there was a race of mer dudes, and they all looked like this, and they all spoke with French accents for some reason. And also, like, according to the Mutanimals book... Uh, uh, Mer dude, whose real name is he's got like three different names, and uh, he's got a name that he Mer dude, which is his adopted name that he goes by now. He was he, his human name because he started out as a dude, and then he's got another name like Aldus or Janus or something like that. And so you find out that five thousand years ago he was mutated into a merman, a fish man of some kind, and so uh, Man Ray or, or Ray Filet, whatever you want to call him, uh, he actually figures out that Murdude is the first mutant. So, really cool bit of storytelling there they went with. The Toys origin, and even the animated series in 1988, didn't deal with that at all. They just just said that, hey, here's here's Murdude. Buy him at KB Toys. So... (laughs) But this one, you know, I really do like this figure. It's... Man, it's... It's weird, okay, because I like this figure, but I see how lacking he is because he's a fish, and he's got essentially <laughs> one leg and one foot. He just he kind of stands on a flat fin and just kind of like hops around apparently. <laughs> and you know he's got a trident. You know it's pretty cool, uh, but he still has the standard seven points of articulation. Um, he's got one at the hips, one at what would be his ankle. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, two at the shoulders, two at the wrists, and one at the head. I really do love his color scheme where he's got this, and I wrote about this when I reviewed this character. I wrote about this. He's got this red uh, tail, basically. You see that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got this red tail with knee pads on it for some reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with the way that this is set up, it kind of looks like he's actually wearing trunks. You know, like a really long pair of swimming trunks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And his, his abdomen is red, and he's got this blue, really awesome-looking blue armor. So it looks like that's all one armored piece, but it, it I don't think it is. No, it can't be, because you can see fins on the back of his legs. I don't know what I'm writing about then, but it just looks <laughs> like he's wearing pants. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's true. But he's got this really nice black, gray, and blue, and red color scheme that, you know, like, this is what I really love about uh, Playmate stories back in the day, where, like, color uh, the coloring was very very important uh to the ninja turtle action figures back in the day i'm not gonna say it was better but like it was certainly uh the cut the use of color and oftentimes the limited use of co- like they had a limited color palette for act for every figure they somehow made four colors into a completely identifiable uh action figure quirk is like a character quirk where, like, this dude's got blue armor, he's got an eye patch on, he's got so much personality with, you know, webbed fingers and everything, and he's just a really cool figure to look at, and he's actually based on a real fish, and I can't remember the name, and I don't really feel like looking it up right now, but he's actually based on a real fish that actually does look very similar to this. Uh, if you look it up on Turtlepedia, they've actually, they've broken it down that way. This figure, this character has actually made several appearances in the TMNT canon. Uh, he was he was in an episode of the '88 uh, animated series, um, according to his toy's biography or the the portrait on the toy. He ran into the turtles trying to stop the shredder from draining the world's ocean of water, uh, which that sounds cool. I don't really know where he's going to put all that water, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> You said this is 1988? Wow, so that's an early episode. Yeah, oh, well, the 88 series. Uh, it was in probably around 92 or 93. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, in the, in the original animated series. Um, so it was probably 92 or 93. He made him and uh, Michelangelo became buddies. And uh, see, and then he also appeared, I won't say mer dude, but like his race of mer people appeared in the 2012 series in season four and uh lucy lawless actually played the queen of the mer people oh cool uh, yeah uh xena basically uh she played you know uh an atlantean queen or something not atlantis but you know what i mean yeah. uh, an underwater kingdom of people uh so and i haven't seen that episode so i don't know because like season four i kind of checked out on after a little bit i mean it was good and but it just you know life happened and oh absolutely I understand <laughs> and by now I have time to watch it uh, the show's been over for a year <laughs> so <laughs> you know um, but yeah so this character's definitely been involved with the turtles for a long time now I don't know if he's a fan favorite because he's one of those guys you don't hear about until you hear about which I know sounds really obvious but it. That's just how my head works, I guess. It makes sense to me. Uh, you never hear about this guy until somebody brings him up. You know, it's not like just one of those guys that you immediately think about when you hear Ninja Turtles. Kind of like you always think about Usagi Ojimbo or you think of Bebop Rocksteady or Splinter or something like that. Well, yeah. I mean, well, also, it was a little bit later on in the, the toy line in the run, you know. Yeah. Um, so some people probably just – I mean, Bebop and Rocksteady, they were foundational uh, villains, you know, yeah. they were foundational side characters. Um, you think of Rat King, he was he was pretty early on. Murdu didn't come to a little bit later. Um, and not yeah, everybody... Was... Uh... Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He was part of the... Uh... In 1992, he, they had this banner uh, called New for 92. It was celebrating five years of them making Ninja Turtle action figures. Oh, cool. And that's when, you know, the gold Leonardo statue came out. And then they had all kinds of just weird characters that everybody really loves, like... Dr. L, Monty Moose, uh, oh, yeah. Quartz, 
you know, just a, a bunch of really cool, slightly inappropriate figures. Wildly <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. racist. <laughs> yeah. If there, I mean, if Atlantis was actually a thing, which it might be, I don't know, but you know, this could be considered slightly racist. You know, just <laughs> oh, what? Because I'm Atlantean, I'm a fish person. What? Because <laughs> I swim to work, I can't be, you know, proud of who I. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, oh, I think that's gonna be intro to the show. <laughs> go out and buy him. He's awesome. Yeah. So, so how much does the figure go for, uh, roughly, Josh? I got this figure out of package, um, so I got him for about. And I, I, it's been a while since I bought them, so I'm going to say between twelve and twenty bucks because I don't remember this being like one of the expensive ones that I had to get. So it was, it was. I got him in a bundle with like half court and walkabout and all, and just a bunch of figures. I was just like, really, this is what they made toys out of? Yeah, very cool. All right, guys. Uh, about fifty minutes into the show, we are finally getting to the interview that you probably all wanted to hear, and you know us shut up. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, how it works. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so first of all, I cannot thank Dan Berger enough for for taking the time to do this. I know he's a very very busy guy. He manages the Mirage website, and uh, I, I know he's he's uh, just very active in the uh, Mirage community, kind of the spokesman of the of that that uh, community. So. He took his time to to really write some long, thorough, and fascinating stuff on here. So I, I'm just really, really humbled by how much time he took to do this for our, you know, for our humble show. So uh, I can't wait to read these. And you know, it's you brought up some really interesting things about the the um, Murdude action figure, and he actually discusses that a little bit. Oh yeah, and how his original design was different from what they came out with. So some really cool stuff to talk about there. Hmm. And, um, you know, for those of you guys who aren't familiar with Dan Berger's work, he was all over the place. He helped with the Archie Mirage comic. or I'm sorry, the Archie comics. He also did, uh, I think, one or two of the Volume 1 comics, the Mirage comics. Um, I'm looking at one right now. It looks like issue 45 from Volume 1, which was published in March of 1992. He wrote and drew that, that uh, issue. It's called Leatherhead 2. Uh, looks amazing. <laughs> the, the cover looks awesome. Yeah. And also, he was really heavily involved with Tales of the TMNT Volume 2, which I love Volume 2 from Tales. Um, and that's actually how I recognized him. That was kind of like my my comeback to the, the comic series. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, that was really my introduction to the comic series, to be honest. Oh. Uh, and then I went back and read Volume 1 later. But yeah, he did a ton of Volume Two, Tales of the Team Anti Volume Two stuff. Um, I, I can go through them real quick. He did issue eight from Tales of Team Anti Volume Two, issue twenty three, thirty four, thirty nine, forty two, forty nine, fifty one, fifty seven, sixty, sixty five, and sixty nine. I think that was the second to last issue. Um, so he was very, very heavily involved with Volume 2 of Tales, which, if you guys haven't read some of those guys, they are amazing. And I can't wait to talk to Dan some more about that, and he's he's certainly been open to talking a lot more about the comics and stuff, so it's great to have that kind of door open. But without any further ado, I was thinking, Josh, we could just kind of read the questions and, and answers and rotate. Um, okay. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll go, yeah, I can go. That's no problem. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So... So I'll ask the question on this one, okay. and then you can answer it as, I guess, Dan Berger, and then vice versa. Okay. 
So the first question we asked was, can you tell us who or what inspired you to pursue comics as a profession? Was the comic book industry something you always wanted to pursue, or was it something that some consider a happy accident? Wow, this dude wrote a lot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, he's great. This is, what Dan, this is Dan Berger's response here. First off, I want to apologize to you and your listeners for my stubborn refusal to do a live interview. I know having to read this email on air is weird for you, and it's even weirder for me to insist upon it. But trust me, folks, listening to me speak off the cuff would have been an even more miserable experience. (laughs) That sounds like me. I sound almost intelligent when I'm writing since it gives me the ability to edit my scatterbrained thoughts. For example, this opening apology was longer and more insufferable before I had a chance to cut out the really stupid part. (laughs) And that's my primary reason for not doing live interviews, because I'm not too sharp, and I am likely to say something dumb. And I don't want to offend any of my friends with an off, with any off-the-cuff, inane comments. So, to get to the point, I've loved comics for as long as I can remember. I've always wanted to be involved with them, both writing and drawing. My mom and dad worked, so I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house prior to kindergarten. My grandma would walk with me to the local store and buy me comics and monster magazines to pass the time. So I've been looking at and loving funny books since before I could read. I spent the days drawing superheroes and monsters and making up stories for them. I eventually wound up in art school, and that led me to meeting a self-publisher in Cleveland, Ohio, where I poorly drew a couple of issues of a comic book called Colt, the Armadillo that won the the armadillo that won the west fortunately it was through that project that i met ryan brown which eventually led to me working for mirage oh okay next question says how did you meet fellow tmnt contributor ryan brown and could you explain how exactly you became a contributor to the tmnt uh so here's his response to that funny you should ask ryan painted the cover to cult number one and we met when the group involved with the book headed to detroit to promote the book at a comic-con Ryan and I hit it off immediately. I'm an introverted weirdo, and Ryan is an outgoing type A guy. I had friends similar to him, and he had friends similar to me. Symbiotic relationships that get us through high school and all that. (laughs) So it was like we had known each other forever as soon as we met. It just so happened that Kevin and Peter were also at that Michigan show promoting the Turtles. Since no one was particularly interested in what we were trying to promote... Ryan decided that we should work on a TMNT sketch and give it to Kevin Pete and maybe get on their pinup page. Needless to say, we were both huge fans. Thus, I penciled something terrible and Ryan made it look pretty by inking it. We waited in line for about an hour and when we got up front, Ryan gave the pinup to Kevin, who liked how Ryan had inked it. Ryan and Kev hit it off, and to be fair, Kevin hits it off with everyone since he's such an awesome guy. Mm-hmm. We went back to our table, thrilled to have had such a great little meeting with the guys who had created the Turtles, and thought that was that. But a few months later, Kevin mentioned meeting Ryan in an editorial in one of his TMNT comics. So Ribo got in touch with him ASAP. In about a year or so, Ryan was moving up to Massachusetts to begin working on the TMNT as the Mirage Empire had expanded. While I was still at art school, Ryan's career with Mirage took off, and I would visit Massachusetts from Cleveland when I could. Hanging out with the Mirage guys was a dream come true. I couldn't believe I had gotten so lucky. I still can't believe it, and I'm so grateful for it. Eternal thanks to Ryan, Steve Murphy, Kevin, and Peter for making my life a dream. So, back to the past. 
I had no plans upon graduation in 1989. Ryan suggested I move to Massachusetts where we could both be roommates again. We had been roomies for about a year in Cleveland while we both worked on the comics we did for his and Doug Brammer's indie publishing company, Nuclear Age Comics. Having the opportunity to move to Massachusetts and live near the guys working on the TMNT sounded wicked cool to me, so I leapt at the offer. My buddy Bill and I moved to Massachusetts, and the three of us shared a house for a while. I planned to get a factory job and do art on the side, but no one would hire me despite me having experience working in a plastic factory. Peter took pity on me and paid me to help him work on an old house uh, that he had purchased. And that led me to uh, doing some side projects on the Turtles, uh, on any Turtles licensing jobs that Ryan and Steve Levine needed some light, and I do mean light, assistance with. So I was periodically hanging out at Mirage Studios, and the guys were getting used to having the weirdo around. (laughs) At some point, Steve Murphy and Ryan asked Peter and Kevin if they would hire me to answer the fan mail coming in for TMNT Adventures, which they remarkably agreed to. I would handwrite responses on postcards and mail them to kids writing to turtle tracks. Needless to say, this was a very fun and rewarding thing to do. When I was a little kid, I wrote to Stan Lee at Marvel Comics and got a postcard back from his secretary saying Stan had read it. That meant the world to me. So the opportunity that I was given to act as a spokesman for the turtles was a true honor and a responsibility that I took very seriously. From there, I wound up getting inking work on TMNT Adventures and more to do on various licensing licensing jobs, which later led me to TMNT Volume 1, Issue 45, the daily comic strip, and whatever else I could weasel my way into. Believe it or not, that was the edited version. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. I can't, I just, I cannot imagine, I can almost imagine what that must be like when you send a letter over to uh, Stan Lee, when you, and you just wait for months for a response or to read a response in an issue of Amazing Spider-Man or something. And then you can just get, you can just see in the mail, he got like a little index card and it was mm-hmm. typed, Stan read it. Well, you know, even as a kid, come on. I mean, it was was way before the internet. And you were Uh, like, yes, yes, you read it. it. Yeah, I am somebody. (laughs) Oh, that was that. That's huge. And what I find so interesting about Dan's uh, description here, he's literally promoting a cult comic. And they just happened to be at the same Comic-Con that Kevin and Pete were at. Yeah. It was probably about five years into the run, I'm, I'm assuming. Something close to that with the comics. And the Turtles were already pretty big at this point, at least in the comic scene. Mm-hmm. And maybe even, I don't know if this is right around the time the cartoon came out or not, but Dan is is just a fan with, with Ryan there. And they decide, hey, let, let's actually let's do a Turtle sketch and we'll wait in line. And they literally wait in the line like fans would. Yeah. And, and came up and they liked it so much that uh, Kevin and Pete liked it so much that Kevin reached out to Ryan Brown right away. And I think that is so cool because Dan Berger is kind of like, I think, how we would be if we actually had artistic talent. You know? <laughs> like, I think this is how I think we would try to approach it. Like, hey, man, uh, I'm a huge fan of your stuff. Here's my tribute to you. And then just by doing that, Kevin, and I can totally see Kevin Eastman doing this, just is like, hey, this is really good. Yeah. How about you work for us? <laughs> so I love that. And that is so – I can picture it in my head. Um, well, you know, he did draw so him a true. picture, and Kevin Eastman liked it so much, he let Dan Berger uh, <laughs> paint his house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Pete. That was Pete. <laughs> oh, that was Pete. Oh, okay. I misheard that. Okay. 
He's like, yeah. Kevin Eastman's like, you want a job? And Peter Laird's like, you can, like, you know, sweep the floor or something like that. I mean, let's. Oh, you It's like a crazy here. You know, but that, but that is. That is really like the one time that it worked out where like fanboying actually worked. Oh yeah. This is oh, the yeah. only and... time ever I I mean maybe it was different back then but you know like you know I drew this picture of Raphael and I drew it for you and then 3 months later I remember that guy he was a good dude. Hey, you want a job? Okay. And like, yeah, that, like that, that's this, incredible. You got to imagine like nowadays like Kevin Eastman probably gets stuff all the time being like, "Hey man, I drew this picture of Splinter." What do you think? <laughs> wink, wink, and kept yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's good, but you know. Yeah, well, Dan, Dan, you're right, you're, and Dan kind of like I think he says it later on, but you know, he's just in the right place at the right time. But also, not to sell anything short from Dan Berger here, he's a wonderful artist. Um, his artwork, is yeah, fantastic. I, I, I want to tell him, dude. Like, I mean, I'm glad we're not on the show with him because I would be telling him, like, dude, calm down. You're awesome. Yeah, you're kind you of, wouldn't you're kind of be a big deal. where you are today if you sucked, you know. <laughs> You'd be where we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might be a politician, but I mean, if you sucked at your job, you wouldn't be where you are. You oh, know, just... that's that's true. Uh, well, you know, another thing is, uh, j- just by being in that line, I mean, you, you fast forward twenty some years. I mean, he's a huge part of the comic books. Yeah, uh, especially Tales uh, Volume Two, which was one of my favorites. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just so cool to kind of see a fan turned contributor, a foundational contributor, right, in my opinion. So, I think it should uh, be mentioned a fan that can draw, because <laughs> that's yeah, <laughs> that's that's the distinction. Oh, well, absolutely. You oh, have, yeah, have you're exactly right. There and and I I do not. So, no. well. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I never realized how much stuff Dan Berger contributed to Ninja Turtles. You know, like, like you said, like Adventures, uh, Tales of the TMNT, Mirage, like he has been all over the place in the comics. Yeah, and, and not to mention all the fan work he's done, yeah. which I can't wait to talk about more about that because I had a follow up question about his fan work that was an incredible kind of, um, oh, what do you call it? It's just you, you realize how small of a world it is. I'll just leave it at that for okay. now. But, uh, but all right, Hoser, you are up for question number three. Okay, so question three is what were your initial thoughts of the TMNT? And Dan Berger's answer is, I love them from the instant I could find an issue. Back in the day, Don Thompson was a very well-respected editor and reviewer working for an old ad zine. Man, remember zines? Uh, <laughs> uh, the zine was called The Comic Buyer's Guide. And he helped launch a lot of books. He promoted the TMNT from their start, so I was driving all over hell trying to find the issues, which was a which was really stupid since I think Kevin and Peter were selling them through CBG. Uh, but I never thought to just mail order the comics directly from the source. Like I said, I'm a numbskull. Anyways, it was through those comic treks that I met the guy that published. Uh, cult and eventually found some issues of TMNT at a comic book shop in Parma. Uh, I think I got a second printing of number two and a third printing of number one, along with the new issue number three. As we all know, those comics are magic, and like most people, I was immediately enthralled. I was a huge Cerebus fan at the time, uh, but the TMNT really hit all of my fanboy markers with its mix of Frank Miller Ninja mythos and old-school Lee and Kirby sensibilities. It was an exciting time in comics, thanks largely to the TMNT. All right, and question number four says, 
Oh, the cast of characters like Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, Ryan Brown, Mike Dooney, Jim Lawson, Steve Murphy, Steve Levine, and many others. There are bound to be some great stories pertaining to Mirage Studios. Are there any funny or touching memories you can, you'd can you like to share working with this very special group of comic creators? Dan says, man, it's hard to pinpoint any one story. All of the guys were just such great and talented people. Truly remarkable, down-to-earth, and talented folks. I still can't believe I was lucky enough to work with Mirage Mob. I like that, Mirage Mob. That's cool. We used to we used to have so much fun. We were young guys living out our dreams thanks to Kevin and Peter's endless generosity. I love that. For example, when I first got hired to answer the mail, Kevin asked how much I needed to make. I didn't have an answer. <laughs> I think Steve's may have suggested $10 an hour, which was good money in those days. Yeah. Sadly, it still kind of is. Kevin was like, cool. Well, I was flabbergasted and was going to say, no, no, you don't have to pay me that much, thinking I wasn't worth it. But Kevin just raised an eyebrow and said, it's all set. You're getting 10 bucks an hour. I didn't know what to say. Thank you probably would have been a good idea, but I was so dumbfounded. I don't know what stupid thing I, I did say. Probably something along the lines of, what happened now? It really meant a lot to me to get the chance to work regularly with Mirage a company and crew that I greatly respected, doing something so important. Kevin and Peter set an amazing example of how to treat people. See, I love that too. That That's awesome. Some of my favorite memories are from toy trips we'd go on. We used to take long drives all over New England shopping for the latest action figures. We'd be in Peter's van all day hitting every toy store in a billion-mile radius. Those trips were so much fun. We just we do something similar at Christmas time, and that became a ritual for a few years, and I really looked forward to it. Uh, it was so much fun to be able to, to walk around and see what everyone was doing. Comics are time-consuming work and uh, can be really isolating. So it was awesome to be in a big open space, having a group of guys all working together. Truly inspiring. See, I love, I love that... Uh, they went on toy trips together. I think that is so fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 I can see them loading up in like a Volkswagen van, you know, from the Turtles, and just all piling up and going to Toys R Us or, you know, any, any toy store uh, local. Uh, just, you know, having fun all the, along the way, man. I, I can only imagine what that was like. You know, you always hear about just like when you hear interviews with like comic creators and stuff like that, or, or really any profession, you always hear about how. You know, probably because they're told to say stuff like this, but you always hear about how they're a family and they work well together and they have fun. And but like these guys, I mean, I think they really do. They really did. Yeah. I mean, like there's video of it. You know, if you watch the Turtle Power, <laughs> I don't know how they got anything done. You know, <laughs> and even I think Jim Lawson said that it was like you know because they would they would play with like early versions of Nerf guns and. Um, and just like shoot at each other with uh, little foam darts and everything, and then uh, usually it was Peter Laird being like, "Hey, uh, this is fun, but we now we have work to do." And everyone was like, "Yes, Dad," and then they start <laughs> doing their thing, and, and it was it's really cool to hear how much these guys probably still do, but how much these guys really just loved each other. Like those guys loved each other, man. Oh yeah, you know you can tell. Well, you know you, you got to think too. This is a time that the Turtles cartoon was absolutely huge it was turtle mania i mean a lot of people like i, I remember watching um i love the 80s and i think it was 1988 or 1989 um you know there's a big chunk of the 80s that was just turtle mania yeah. i mean it was huge and these guys are right there in the mix of it um and they're just regular guys doing this um and it's just you gotta think 
what a time. What a time for them to, to be doing all this. And it was such a core group. I don't think they were – I mean their, their company is Mirage Studios What because – they didn't even have an official studio they didn't know for a while. what they're doing. Yeah, it was <laughs> Exactly. It's kind of like it proves like two things to me. It's like one, like you cannot, I mean everybody trying to write the next big thing or the next game changer, it's like you just you can't do it. You can't set out to write the the next game changer. It's just like it just kind of happens. It's like That's true. All these guys really like the Ninja Turtles just like their storyline. The creation of the comic book and everything that came after it was really all happenstance. It was just a lot of eerie coincidences that made this giant thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it, it's proof that, like, you just have to do your job and maybe it'll take off. Yeah, yeah everything you just is, never know. Yeah, you never know. And also, it was kind of the last time anything like this happened because now everything is focus-tested to, to crap you have to have 2,000 different references. You have to probably even have a little bit of money behind you. And there is no just taking people at face value anymore. There is no Interesting. There is no more faith in somebody anymore. It's like, no, nah, man, you got to have like the best education money can buy, even if you can't afford it. You've got to have 10,000 references from people that you've never even met and won't even make time to talk to you. And it's just, it is so, oh my God. I All week I've been talking to editor, book editors and trying to get a literary agent. <laughs> Dude, I don't, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to get my book written now. You know? uh, well, I, I sure hope oh, so, man. Dude, don't keep, keep fighting. Not to turn this around about something I'm doing, but it's just, it's hard. And it's, and it's just after a week, I'm just like, ugh, yeah. why? Why am I doing it? Why am I even, why did I quit my job so I can write anything, you know? Just the fact that these guys made this happen, it was really the last time it ever happened. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, that's that's interesting you bring that up. Uh Dan actually has some advice, I think, for, for writers and oh, stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll share that I'll share that for you, man. That'll be great. Uh but yeah, you're next, Jose. Question five uh was could you take us through a typical day working at Mirage and Archie in the late eighties and early nineties? And Dan Berger's response was when I first began, Mirage had a big open space in an old factory type building. It was one big room, maybe around six hundred square feet. All of the guys had their own giant drawing tables and spaces filled with the stuff they loved. There was all kinds of cool toys and movie memorabilia around and a nerf basketball hoop. <laughs> Uh, sometimes someone would work from home so I would float around to whatever drawing table was open and if everyone was in I'd work on the flat lunch table and I would typically get up around 11am oh that's nice uh, and roll roll in for a brunch then I'd work till dinner after dinner I'd work at home for several years I was working 12 to 14 hour days wasn't unusual and that wasn't unusual for me and I'm sure the other guys were putting in more time than that but we had fun at lunch and took breaks playing hoops and so the days were always great eventually Peter bought a big office space and we all got separate rooms my schedule didn't really change I've always been a night owl so back then I was typically up till 3 or 4 a.m. working that also oh, he wasn't getting much sleep okay uh <laughs> Then I'd get up late and head in for lunch or brunch. Weekends, I'd work at home. It was rare to take, to take a day off, but who would want to, who would want to when the work was TMNT? Yeah, I love that. 
man, I just I, I put myself in his shoes. I'm like, what a, what a cool job that would have been. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, you know, um, it's something that you know we can only dream about right now, and probably ever will. Um, but it it's so cool to hear. You know, we're hearing it with high. The, the thing about this is, and maybe I'm just cynical, but like. The thing of it is, is like we're hearing this with hindsight being 2020. I can only imagine there were more than a few times where you just, if I had to draw one more bandana. <laughs> you know, it's just, I'm just, uh, sure. I'm sure. Man. I mean, you know, there's, there's pressures with it, deadlines you have to meet yeah. and everything. So 12 to 14 hour days. I can't even imagine. I mean, I've worked days like that, but I can't imagine 12 to 14 hours just drawing. Wow. Like, can you imagine? Like, their hands had to have been numb, and their backs must be terrible by now. You know? <laughs> Especially him. About, he yeah. didn't even have a drawing table. Like, he had a flat, like, he was drawing on a picnic table. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's crazy, or a flat table, but that's crazy, man. Just like, just like, if you look at artists, if you look at, like, real hardcore artists, like, especially, like, if you look at tattoo artists, like, all of them have just, like, mangled up backs and hands and wrists and everything. Mm. Like, they're stiff and got their arthritic. And I don't know how Kevin Eastman can still draw the way he does because he doesn't look like he's skipped a beat since yeah. 19, whatever. You know, like, That's he, just, true. Yeah. he just recently drew a uh, Comic-Con exclusive IDW comic book cover of Raphael riding this giant motorcycle. It looks like the, the lawgiver from Judge Dredd. Oh, nice. With this big fat tire in the, in the front, man. It looks awesome. And it looks like he hasn't missed... He hasn't skipped a beat since 1984. Wow. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah, he certainly hasn't. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, question number six says, you are a huge contributor to TMNT Volume 4 as well. And I guess I, I wrote this question. Um, mm-hmm. I should have rephrased it as um, TMNT Tales Volume 2. You know, it was around that Volume 4 era. Oh, but, Yeah, okay. so I, I kind of fouled up this question here. But he says, what are your thoughts on Volume 4 as both a creator and as a fan? How do you feel about the turtles being older and dealing more mature, ironically, real life issues like losing loved ones, growing apart, and having the loss of identity? Uh, his answer is the only thing I did with Volume 4 was package it for the printer. <laughs> his answer was, You're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and do clerical work for the distributor. I didn't do anything creatively. I really loved the series because I loved Peter's writing. He approaches things in an intriguing way that always surprises me. His ideas are fantastic. I know some folks don't like the series for various reasons, but I thought it was fantastic. I'm sorry it never got wrapped up because I'd like to know how things resolve. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree about Peter's writing style. And I'm sorry, uh, Dan, for fouling up that question. I guess I meant Tails. Uh, in my mind, I thought he was part of Volume 4 as well. But I now going back, it was specifically Tails. Yeah. But, uh, but well, yeah, I love it. And at the same time, so I mean. Exactly, yeah, that era. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to uh, hear your thoughts on Tales soon, too. So maybe that will do a follow-up interview <laughs> one of these days. So, uh, yeah, you're up, Hosehead. Okay, so question seven. I think this one was mine. Um, how did you find your writing slash art style for the TMNT? What made them yours? And he says, uh, I, don't think I, was ever, I don't think I was ever able to make them mine. I've got a goofy art style that's an acquired taste, and most people never acquired it, and I don't blame them. I was trying to find a cool medium between cartoony and edgy, but never did. In regards to writing, I was trying to follow in Kevin and Peter's footsteps and tell stories with heart to them. I think some of the stuff I wrote was was decent. And, yeah, you know, I, I, 
I really I, I dig his stuff. Oh, I, I think I, his artwork's fantastic. I don't think anybody in the Mirage era, I don't think there's ever been a weak link. No, no, I, I agree. I and mean, it's, they're all different, but yeah, yeah I think you de- everybody's definitely got their preference. But I don't think there's ever been, there, there was never like a, a weak person in their ranks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at um, volume uh, one, issue 45 right now, and that was one of the first ones he worked on. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. I mean, here, I'll, let me show you just one, one page here. I'll send it right to you. Yeah, I'm looking at his stuff. I just Googled his stuff right now. I can definitely see the the influences of the cartoon. And, man, this is – that's really what I I really appreciate about Dan Berger's art where he tried making his own – it's so hard to make your interpretation of an, of an iconic character, of a well-known character. Oh, sure. And he tried uh, serving two masters basically with – the original comics and the cartoon, and he tr- he basically basically made an amalgam of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't do that, man. No. Th- th- I don't know, I don't know how he did that, man. It was awesome, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just sent you another picture. I th- I think he's got a great style. So, yeah, it's just you know, I, and that's another appeal to the Mirage crew. I, it seems like everyone's so humble, reflecting on their own work. So. Uh... But yeah, I, I think I totally agree with you. It's kind of like what IDW does now. I mean, there's such a great art art staff and writing staff um, mm-hmm. uh, that there, you can't. There's not a weak link in the bunch. So, uh, okay. So, question number eight was, what was the process for creating characters like Murdude? Oh, I think this was your question, Josh. Yeah. Was the process more about creating a character for the sake of the comic, or did you want to create an action figure first and then expand on the character from there? Really, really quickly before you get, read the answer. Sure. I just love the first because I read this one and I just love the first sentence. Yeah, <laughs> he's honest. Uh, for everybody that ever complained about the Ninja Turtles being sellouts, I dedicate this answer to you. <laughs> <laughs> Action figure first. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, you, can you blame him? Oh my goodness! For oh, for a while, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. For a while, I there like was money. <laughs> yeah, right. Me too. I need it. For a while, there was big money in getting an action figure produced by Playmates Toys because Peter and Kevin were giving a generous. Can't talk about those guys without using the word popping up, or without that word popping up constantly. Profit split. So there was a mad rush by everyone in the studio to make up characters and send them <laughs> to Playmates in hopes that they become a toy. Yeah, Jim Lawson said that too. Yeah. I didn't do it too many. I didn't do too many because I had stupid ideas, but Murdu was one that clicked. The design I sent in was very basic, just a one-page front-facing sketch. There wasn't a turnaround or anything like that. Uh, I was doing them quickly because I really didn't think anything I'd come up would fly, or I'd come up with would fly. But I think Murdude happened around the time that Disney's Little Mermaid was hot, so the crew at Playmates liked the name and concept. However, oh, that's yeah. topical. That's true. That's a good point. I never thought of that. Yeah, I didn't put that together. However, they didn't like my drawing much—a recurring theme of my life. So Playmates <laughs> had their freelance design firm, whose name sadly escapes me now, maybe Varner dramatically rework what I had done to the point that it almost was unrecognizable. I whined, and they changed the face to look a little bit more like what I originally did. The design firm added the cool hair tentacles, which I loved, but they gave them a human face, which I hated. So I pretty much just came up with the name and concept. A quick aside regarding Murdude is that I sent a list of 15 names for him, and they liked two. Eventually, one of Michael Dooney's characters wound up being called Scaletail, which was one of the names that I sent in with the Murdude design. 
Murdude wasn't my favorite uh-huh. name that I sent, but looking back, it made the most sense. Unfortunately, by the time Murdude was released, sales for the secondary characters were low, so I didn't get a new car, but I did get a I did put in a big dent in some credit card bills, which was awesome. It was it was and remains a huge honor to have played a small part in the coolest toy line in history. Oh, I love yeah. that. I love that. It was, and fascinating insight on on what it's like uh, to create a toy. Yeah. You know, and and how there's going to be differences between the original designer and what we actually end up seeing in the stores. So, good stuff there. And and do you hear that detractors? Like this dude was trying to pay off credit card debt. Let them sell out. You know. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to pay the bills. Yeah, selling out is a sign that you'll be able to afford food. Yes. Are you kidding me? If if I could get paid to write and create, you ki- are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, dude, I I think of an action figure every day. It's like, hey, here's Chairman. You know, <laughs> I think he and was a Mega Man monster, or and boss. his and his son Lazy Boy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, they, they they always have conflicts because Lazy Boy doesn't want to do anything. Doesn't want to do anything. Which is how can you just keep just sitting sit around down? the house? <laughs> All right, Maggie. So, so Scaletail was uh, actually the Murdude. It was supposed to be his name, um, or that's one that he had chosen for Murdude. But uh, they they took Murdude instead. Interesting stuff. That makes them. That makes sense. I mean, he's got. I'm looking at his tail. There's scales there. (laughs) (laughs) But it works for Scaletail. I mean, I I love that figure, Scaletail, just because of how unique his mold is. Because he's an actual snake, not like. A dude who looks like a snake. He's an action. He it, he's horrible to stand up, but I mean, you know, he's he's so cool looking, and you know, to think that that's in a weird, in a roundabout kind of way, that's also a Dan Berger figure in a weird way. That's neat. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I really like that. I real I'm really happy that he could he could that they all could live off of just making action figures and even Jim Lawson said that it was like everybody was trying to make as many action figures as they could yeah, yeah. because that because really that's kind of where the money was mm-hmm. yeah yeah Chris <laughs> is like yay money money uh, oh yeah um and, and you know what I love what he says at the very end too that it was you know the greatest toy line ever I, I think a lot of people would would consider it to be at yeah. least one of the top five you know, most memorable toy lines ever. Uh, I might be biased, but there's the Ninja Turtle Playmates line in 1988, and then there's everything else. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little biased, but you know, I, some, some people would would say, you know, argue Star Wars was the greatest, or Transformers. Transformers was huge. Yeah, yeah. There's for He Man. He Man always surprises me for a toy line for a property that is more is more popular for the memes that it created. Everybody seems <laughs> to love He-Man. You always seem to hear about, I love He-Man. Really? Name an episode. You oh, know? you... Oh, jeez. You're going to offend some people, you hoser. I will, I'll be honest. I like Skeletor. I don't care about He-Man. I like Skeletor. <laughs> that's it. You know, that's... that's really, If I buy anything that's He-Man related, it's Skeletor. Yeah. Well... But anyway, I digress. But yeah, <laughs> the Ninja Turtles toy line from Playmates is the best one, including all the stuff that's come today. So, nice. question number nine: <laughs> Have you had any interest in returning to the Archie team and T comics, or the team and T comics in general? And Dan Berger's response is: No, that ship has sailed. The guys doing the comics at IDW are light years more talented than I am. 
I had my shot and did my best. Now it's time for the younger generations to make their stamp. Uh, Man, I like that because you yeah. always hear about how people want to go back to the days of when these guys were doing stuff and you always hear about older creators being jaded about the new people mucking up everything, but I really like that response. It's very, it's becoming more and more rare you hear Yeah, you hear <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. You hear like I don't I hope he doesn't take offenses, but you hear an old school creator it's becoming rarer and rarer to hear an old school creator actually supporting the new guys coming up. You know, he's not jaded at all or cynical. I, I really like you rarely hear the answer of I'm done. I'm just done. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's part of me that, you know, as a fan, I would love to see the Mirage crew come back. Cause I, I know there are some, some that are interested in coming back that still have plenty of, um, you know, contributions they want to make. Yeah. Uh, I, part of me always wants to see that happen somehow. And I guess there's still that possibility with Volume Four, mm-hmm. but um, you know you're right. You're right. It is. It is interesting that that Dan's is like. You know what? I'm I'm just thankful I was part of it. But it's time for somebody else to take the mantle. And and I have so much respect for for a response like that. I mean, that's you don't hear that much. You know that the no, you don't the older guys saying. You know what? Those young guys they know what they're doing. You know, so <laughs> you know that's interesting stuff. All right. So uh, question number ten says. I think this was your question too. This is my question that I messed up. Yeah. So. No, we we both got one. All we right. We both sent him the wrong question. So. Yeah, I love it. So there was talk about a Mighty Mutanimals animated series in 1993, but unfortunately, it was canceled. What was your involvement in the series? Uh, Dan's answer. <laughs> I don't think I was involved at all. <laughs> uh, although I may have helped Ryan put together the presentation boards, and by helped, I mean I may have sp- uh, spray fixed the art to the boards. I wasn't involved creatively in any way. <laughs> so we both nailed that one. <laughs> Man, we are hard-hitting journalists in this. Oh, goodness. We do geez. our research. Oh, jeez, we're hosers. <laughs> at, least you, at least you just worded your question incorrectly. I was wrong, like 100% <laughs> wrong. It was like, oh, wait, this is our Ryan Brown question. No. Uh, well, you know, they were so tight, though. I can understand. They were. They were, they were you know – Simpatico, man, they really were. They were they were a dynamic duo. With yeah. Oh yeah, Mirage. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so question eleven is: If you can choose, do you have a particularly favorite TMNT comic you were directly involved in creating? A favorite issue in which you were in which you? Oh wait, I'm sorry. The second the second question was a favorite issue in which you weren't involved. Uh, and Dan Berger says. My favorite issue that I worked on is the Tales of TMNT Volume 2, number 55, A Day in the Life. Oh, my God. I didn't know he called it that. I... <laughs> oh, yeah. That was your story, wasn't it? I never – I never – I've never read Volume 2 of Tales. Uh, it's okay. It's a okay. coincidence. I didn't make any money off of it anyway. So, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dan Berger says – that one came together nicely. Jim Lawson did a great job, as always, with the art. And Peter's edition of the April Robot was one of those cool curveballs he comes up with that uh, he comes up with that throw me for a loop. I also like number sixty-five, Cold Cold Ice. I think that the story is pretty good, and while a lot of the art is miserable, some of it is decent. Uh, my favorite issues of all time. Uh, is naturally TMNT Volume 1, Number 1. It's all in those 40 pages. Everything came together. Everything came from that because it's so richly detailed from the very beginning. 
it's a masterpiece. And wow. I have to agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That first issue is an icon. It, it really is. It's like that's one of the top ten comic books ever made in all of comics history, in my opinion. Ah, that's interesting stuff, man. I, I would agree with that, too. Yeah. I don't know where it falls. I mean, it's probably, I, I don't know, but I, it's in the top ten most influential comic books ever created. Oh, you got to think about it. I mean, you know, it spawned an iconic, and you know, I know we throw that word around a lot, but it really was an iconic cartoon. That was a big part of the 80s and early 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, It spawned uh, hundreds of comics that followed it. Um, So, you know, it's just, how do you, and uh, not to mention the toy line that made millions of dollars. So how do you not uh, include issue number one? Plus, it's just a gorgeous issue, interesting story, so original. It's a parody, yet it's not. Oh, it's it's fantastic in, in so many ways. And it was one that wasn't really meant to have a sequel, so... It's just so fascinating to me that here you have the standalone story that spawned everything that came from it. Just just fantastic. And you know what? Going back to his work on Tales Volume 2, I need to read issue 65. I think I have read A Day in the Life. 55. It's been a very long t- yeah, well, 65 is the one he was talking about, Cold, Cold Ice. Oh, the sorry. 55, yeah. Oh, you're good. Uh, and the 55 is the one I think I have read. But I've not read 65, so I'll have to check that out, and maybe we can uh, have him on again to talk about those. That might be my uh, thing for next year that I collect is Volume 2 of Tales, because I've heard nothing but great things. Oh, fantastic. About uh, the series, and I've never, I have never read a single issue of it. I dare say that was Jim Lawson's best work, uh, or my personal favorite work, mm-hmm. uh, was, was his work on Volume 2 of Tales. Now, loved his stuff. You would probably know this more than I would, but was actually, you would know this more than I would. But was Tales of the TMNT Volume Two? Was that just an anthology series, or was that, or was there an overarching storyline? Um, it, it would uh, be a little bit of both. Okay. Um, there were a lot of references to what was happening during the big story arc of Volume Four. You know, maybe stuff that happened in between, or stuff that references events that happened in Volume Four. But for the most part, it was mainly its 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 own separate stories, um, okay. individual stories. Because uh, I know, know like, it kind of filled in the gap between Volume Two and Four. And also, another thing about uh, Tales Volume Two was they referenced things that happened in Volume One. Uh, you know, stuff yeah. that you would completely forget about. That Volume One, maybe some some kind of loophole or loose end in Volume One that's patched up in Tales Two. Uh, so it, it's kind of all over the place. But with all the guest writers and and all the um, I shouldn't say that, not guest writers, all the uh, foundational writers like. Steve Murphy came back, Dan Berger, uh, Jim Lawson. Uh, there was a bunch of others. Um, Dooney. I mean, they, they, they were all big parts of either Archie or early Mirage stuff. They all came back to do this where the volume four was just Peter Laird and Jim Lawson for the most part. Um, so, you know, really cool stuff. Uh, I love Tales too. Uh, okay, so question number 12 says, have you read the IDW TMNT comics by any chance? And if so, what are your thoughts? Dan says, I've read them for the first year or so. I thought they were terrific. Lately, I picked them up, but I have a very long history of buying comics just to look at them rather than read them. I know it's bizarre, but it's what I do. It used to drive my buddy uh, who ran the local comic shop nuts. Ah, well, I'm weird. I can't say that the IDW uh, comics look fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's that's so cool. See, like what I try to do now is I read the issue first. You know, I go story first, and then I try to go back and just look at the artwork um, before I ever you know put it back up or something, uh, because I think the art can tell a story even better than sometimes the words can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, there there have been several issues of just comics in general where there's no dialogue at all, and it's yeah. just the artist writing the story with with no words, and that, that is kind of the one advantage to just. Uh, novels that comic books have where it's like you mm-hmm. technically don't need a writer you I mean you do to, to do art direction but like you, you don't need dialogue yeah you know and it's yeah. kind of like a comic book version of a silent film it's it's really cool it's when it does happen and the IDW books have really drawn their own identity mm-hmm. like it it's really really cool so I'd have Good to stuff. I'd have to agree all right, man. You, you get. I'm glad you get to do this question. Okay. Uh, do you have any advice for? I don't think I, I don't know if I wrote this one or not. I probably did. This sounds like a me question. It's just help me, please. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring comic writers and artists today? And Dan Berger's response is get busy. Thanks to the web and social media sites, you can create comics and try to find an audience with little to no expense beyond time. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Just do it. Learn by doing. Experience is the best teacher. I'm out of platitudes, but those hold true. Dave Sim once said, and Dave Sim is the uh, creator of the comic book Cerebus. Um, uh, Dave Sim once said something along the lines of, you have to draw 1,000 pages before you'll do your first good one. That's not true for everyone, but it's certainly something to keep in mind as you struggle to figure out the mad alchemy of the mad alchemy that is making great comics. Uh, the sooner you get started, the sooner you'll get good. And real quickly, man, I love the word alchemy. I'm so happy to see that he used that there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that that is great advice. I mean, it is it, it experience is the best teacher. It's also just like the it's it's the hardest teacher there is. You know, I, because my my father also told me when when I was. I got really frustrated trying to uh, work on a car and my dad can just work on cars without even do without even batting an eyelash. And my, I asked my dad how he's so good at working on cars and I'm not. And my dad says, you're going to suck a lot longer than you're actually good at something. <laughs> yep. My dad, he said that you're going to be terrible at something for a lot longer than you're going to be good at it. So like, you know, do you see these guys and part of it is, the media aspect of it. I mean, we see Kevin Eastman and he's just drawing Raphael, you know, it's just, but what we're seeing is the good part of his career. There's a lot of times when he was in his room or in his basement drawing and he was terrible at it, you know, and not that he was, I don't know, but maybe, no, he, I know but what you're saying. Maybe he was always good, but like there's, there's a lot of, you don't see all the years of him honing his craft, you know, it's, and that's a good thing that, that, that is the hard, that's where I have problems is it, because I hold, I just, I don't know why my stuff isn't better, you know? I don't, I don't, and it's me not liking my own stuff. And a lot of people deal with that. A lot of artists deal with that. Yeah, I mean, he, even Dan's, you know, crit- criticizing his own stuff here, you know? And, and that's, I think, sometimes I think that's almost the mark of a great, great artist and, and great writer is that they're never quite satisfied. They always want to be better. Uh, they always think they could have done something better. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I, I, I wish that I, I mean, you kind of don't want to be I don't want to gloat, but I mean, like, 
I kind of wish that I liked my stuff more than I do because I I know that just I'm gonna I'm gonna hate my stuff so much that I'm just gonna stop working on it. <laughs> so, oh no no you gotta listen yeah. to Dan and that's you gotta keep going and that's the thing that a lot of artists I mean being an art a lot of people like to roll their eyes when they hear I'm an artist but being an artist is one of the hardest things you can do because all you're doing is submitting stuff and opening it up to other people's opinion people that don't know you people that don't care about you people that don't want to care about you. And that hard critique that this sucks is what you need to hear so you can become great. Mm, you know, because you can only show a picture to your mom so many times because your mom is never going to tell you, well, this is this is BS. You need to do this. You need to draw a picture and submit it to somebody so you can hear what you did wrong. You know, that, and that is the hardest thing to hear. It's 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 the hardest thing in the world to get somebody to look at your stuff, but then to get a good opinion about it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, would you mind if I did these last two, man? Go for it. Yeah. All right. All right. So question number 14 says, how can our listeners find all your current work? He says, IDW may have print, reprinted some of the stuff I did for Mirage. Other than that, folks would have to search out my back issues at comic shops or online via eBay or whatever sites they'd like to buy old comics from. And then uh, number 15 is one we always kind of end our interviews with. Uh, what does the TMNT mean to you on a personal level? And he says, they mean everything to me. They inspire me and then allowed me to accomplish every goal that I had ever imagined and to do far more than I ever deserved to do. The characters are like good friends that have been with me for most of my life. And the real world opportunity to work at Mirage with such a tremendous group of artists was phenomenal. I wish I'd done a better job than I did, but I am so thankful that Kevin, Peter, Steve, and Ryan gave me the opportunity. I don't have the words to properly express my gratitude for those dues. So, man, good stuff. What 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 a humble response. What a guy. And, yeah. Yeah, just a nice guy, man. And and uh and and what a contributor. Um he almost feels like this would be me. If I were an artist, like this, his outlook is the way I think I would have felt, you know, yeah. uh, working with a crew like that. I, I, I feel like, like I can really relate to him on a personal level, um, you know, in, in what he's saying and how grateful and generous um, he's been with with uh, all the information and, and, and how grateful he is to work with such incredible people. Um, so actually, there was a follow up email because he had said a couple of things that I thought were really intriguing. Uh, of course, I knew he worked for the Mirage website. We'll see. Josh, I don't know if I ever told you this. In the late 90s, I was just in a turtle's mood. I can't remember what it was. I think I had watched the first film again mm -hmm. in, I'm saying, maybe 98 or something. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I wonder what the turtles are up to. So I, I, we had just gotten a computer. And I went to NinjaTurtles.com, which at the time was very, very different from what we know today. Yeah. Uh, or what we see today. And I remember on the website, there was a section where you could actually type in a question and the Ninja Turtles in character would respond yeah. to you. And I was like, oh, how cool is that? So what I did was, yeah, I just sent him an email. And I remember within a day, I had gotten an email back completely. I'm pretty sure it was Michelangelo, completely in character. And guess who it was? And I had no idea until I just happened to ask him. It was Dan Berger writing that email. And I'm pretty sure it was Michelangelo I, I talked to. And uh, it was completely in character. It was so cool to hear his response. 
And guess who it was? All these years later, I found out it was Dan Berger who had sent that email. No way. I swear. He, he said he did that. Uh, so, wow. so here's, here's the follow up email that I sent him. And then maybe we can rotate the answers on that real quick. He, he answered a couple other, uh, questions real, real quick because I was so fascinated with his answers. Um, let me, uh, read my email real quick. I said, Hey, Dan, wow, I can't thank you enough for being so thorough and generous with your answers. Such fantastic or fascinating stuff. I love the story. Uh, of you and the Mirage gang going to toy stores together and your advice for writing is invaluable. Just do it. Uh, you said that you took time to write responses to fan mail. Have you ever had any touching stories or interesting feedback from fans you wouldn't mind sharing? Also, that reminded me of a time back in either the late 90s, or early 2000s, where there was a section of the Old Ninja Turtles website where you could actually email the turtles. Were you the one behind that? If I remember correctly, I sent an email asking Michelangelo what his favorite pizza was and received a response within hours. I was a teenager then, and I was just about as giddy as my five-year-old self watching the Turtles every day after school in the 90s. Boy, I wish I could find that email. Okay, so I'll read his response. Uh, First of all, he says, Howdy, Rob. Uh, You're most welcome. Thank you for being so understanding. He said, and this is his response to my question. I got some replies from kids and their parents that were very grateful to have gotten a handwritten response. This is in regards to the Archie um, fan mail. Apparently getting any response when writing to an organization was pretty rare, so some folks were pleasantly surprised that Mirage had a personal touch. For the most part, I didn't hear anything back from the people that I wrote to, which was just which I took as a good sign. No news was good news. I figured I'd answer their questions adequately. I sure hope so. <laughs> oh, and this is the answer to um, the my email uh, that I had sent into Mirage or uh, NinjaTurtles.com. Uh, he says, "Yep." That was that was way more challenging than answering Turtle Tracks mail because a lot of folks now get this, Josh. A lot of folks would write with serious problems, and not just kids. Plenty of adults wrote in. I had to find out a lot. I had to send out a lot of messages pointing to the various nonprofit organizations that exist to help people. I'd lose sleep over that because there was often no way of knowing if I was able to assist them or not. It was rare to get a response after a cry for help. Man, can you believe wow. that? Isn't That's that, crazy. I mean, if yeah. you if you really think about it, that I can understand why adults would would uh, send emails because you know they were they were fans of the cartoon uh, growing up, and maybe that was kind of their their source for I don't know inspiration. Their source for I don't know. They're, basically, these these fictional characters were their heroes, and yeah. I guess maybe they just wanted a glimpse or a glimmer of their their childhood. Yeah, there by, by and, emailing in. I don't know. That's crazy. It could have been like they were just embarrassed to ask an actual person. So I'm going to ask this person that. Uh, ah, true. That was there for me when I was a kid. Ah, you know, what a that's a very interesting thought. True. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you know that Michelangelo is not writing that response to you, but you don't care. You, you don't just, care. You just want to hear what he would say. You know. Yeah, and then in your head when you're reading the response, it's it's Michelangelo talking to you. Yeah. You know, it's Leonardo or whoever, you know, and it's just that's that's really cool. So and it's very it just it shows you how much the turtles mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it shows you how much how, of a impact they have made. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I said, if I remember correctly, I sent an email asking uh, Michelangelo's favorite pizza was, um, you know, and then I, I just said it was so cool to receive an email back and I felt like a kid again. And Dan's response was, that makes me very happy to hear. It was really fun and rewarding. Uh, it was a really fun and rewarding thing to do. 
what I what I also said in that email was I completely share your enthusiasm, passion, and adoration for the TMNT franchise and the Mirage crew. I was really nar- uh, nervous starting a podcast dedicated to the TMNT because I was afraid that some of my heroes in the comic, cartoon, and film world would turn out to be jerks and taint my love for the turtles. And he, uh, Dan's response is, I hear that. A.C. Farley has a saying that goes something like this. The artist is so much less than the art as a way of explaining that very concern. I've met my share of creators who were disappointing as people, but then I've met way more good people than bad. But as an introverted hermit that doesn't like to give live interviews and is uncomfortable in groups, I can see how some creators uh, could be good people that just don't do well socially. So there's a flip side to that coin that I'm a part of. I might come off as a jerk when I talk, hence the writing. <laughs> well, I, I highly doubt that, Dan, but I, you know, I understand. And I'll, I'll make this real quick. So I said, fortunately, everyone, literally everyone I've spoken with has been absolutely wonderful and so down to earth in the TMNT community. Dan says, that's awesome. Kevin and Peter set such a good example for the people to follow. Plus, the turtles themselves tend to attract the type of person that is compassionate and understanding of others. Uh, that's kind of built into the concept. All right, what I said was, I think that's rare and kind of inspiring uh, that people like yourself have only enhanced and enriched my love for the turtles. And he says, I'm very happy that I've been able to add to the enjoyment rather than detract from it. I'm just a minuscule cog in the machine, but I definitely don't want to foul up the works. <laughs> I love that. And then the last thing I said was, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for taking the time to give me as a fan an inside peek into what it was like working for Mirage. And he says, it was my pleasure. Thanks again for letting me write rather than speak. Cheers, Dan. So, ah, oh, what a nice guy. I can't wait to talk to him again. Yeah, any last thoughts, uh, Josh, about the Dan Berger? Uh, man, I really appreciate the, everything that he's done. Uh, I really appreciate his art style and letting it speak for himself and uh, really trying. It's really kind of it's kind of funny hearing how he wanted to live up to uh, Kevin and Peter and in, in the example that they set and in a in a way he set his own example you know just uh, you true. know all of these guys set such a great example for just not only other creators but us as fans and creating uh helping create heroes that we all look up to like i i this sounds so dorky and you can take me as uh this might sound ridiculous and you might not take me seriously after hearing this but i look up to the ninja turtles you know, I oh, really do. like as a career, as somebody who, as somebody who wants to be a creative person, I look into them as an example and I look to Kevin and Peter and Jim Lawson and Ryan Brown and Tom Waltz and Dan Berger and Mattias Santaluco and uh, Sophie Campbell, all these people. I just look up to every single one of them because they show what creativity can do. And, you know, the Ninja Turtles yeah. are proof of what creativity can do. And Dan Berger being just so just chill about all that is so cool to hear, you know, where he's just like, yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> I just, yeah. I only had an instrumental hand in one of the biggest media juggernauts ever, you know, just, it, yeah. I mean, you hear the words iconic, you hear the words epic, but it's, it is true. I mean, it is, it's lasted for almost 40 years now. For it's growing strong. Yeah, and it's for a reason. You know, it is just, it's great. And to hear that these guys are just kind of like, yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, they're just they're just people. That That's so cool and so rare. And yeah, yeah. if any of us do make it, we should all take them as an example and just remember that that does not change you as a person. 
Ah, absolutely. Beautifully said, man. I I don't even know how to add to that. That Or it should not change you as a person. You sure. Know, yeah. Yeah. All I can say is, you know, thank you, Dan. You know, thank you, Dan, for, for coming on the show and, and uh, you know, just divulging such great stuff. And thank you for what Josh said. I can't say it any better than that. <laughs> uh, all I can say is I am so grateful that I have met such wonderful people through this show. Kevin Eastman, it's funny. I can totally see Kevin Eastman in everything that Dan said uh, based on our interactions with him, just the few that we've had. That just makes me love this franchise even more is knowing that the creators are so uh, – they're, they're creators, but they're also fans of the franchise too. They're, they're just fans, you know? Yeah. And and I think that's the one thing that kind of binds us all together is yeah. that we're all fans of this this product that just kind of blew up, you know, the, the Turtles and, and the universality of – you know what they represent um all four of them and and all the characters and and it's just uh there's something special about this franchise i can't put my finger on it but it's why i'm a fan and doing this show with one of my best friends and and getting to meet these creators man this has just made things even sweeter it's made this this pizza even better it's the it's been a thrill to do this show and to meet these people get it you know a, a little glimpse and what it was like to create something that truly was lightning in a bottle. So, so thank you, Dan, again. I hope we can talk to you again soon. Um, and yeah, I, the only other question I, I think I have for you, Josh, is what type of pizza are we going to have to uh, close out another totally tubular episode of Turtle Fix? Uh, you know, I got to say, man, I'm hungry right now. I can hear my stomach going. Oh, me too. Oh, uh, man. You know, I, I would really love, like, I want a deep dish pepperoni pizza. I haven't oh, had those that in great. like Chicago style, where like yes. all the all the toppings are actually in the middle of the pizza. Yes, that oh, like great. I, it takes like four hours to make, but I have not had a deep dish pizza in so long. So like, <laughs> deep dish pepperoni pizza is exactly what I want right now. All right, well you got it. Well, all right, dudes and dudettes. It's hope figured you... pizza that we're going to eat. Yeah, right. you got it, man. <laughs> you got it. All right. Sending it to you in my mind That's right now. That's right. That's right. I can just, I can, I can just taste it now. I'm going to go um, back there and eat my sad bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and another thing, listeners, is uh, that I'm going to uh, post this email on our turtleflakes.com website, all um, printed. Uh, so you can also read it for yourselves there. I'll try to have that up within the week. And, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this. And thank you again, Dan. Uh, here's to hoping you enjoy your friends, your family, and make a slice of Chicago-style deep dish pizza. Pepperoni pizza, that is. There you go. <laughs> Calabunga, dudes. Calabunga, everyone. Oh, hang on one sec, Josh. Let me get uh, my son. He's want to get in here over the baby gate. I can see him go face planting. Hi, guys, buddy. Hang on. I let him. That's how they learn. All right. Well, hey, would you come around the basketball question? I got to go, too. Yeah, I've had this stuff. All right, BRB. Don't do that. He wants chocolate milk. Uh, uh. Okay, buddy.
issue is called I Am Armagon. Oh no, I don't. I wish I did. I don't have. I've got <laughs> all I have is issue two and three. Yeah. Well, you gotta get the collections, man. That IDW is putting out. That's, I know. I know. They're really good. Yeah, they've got the they've got the Mutanimals books in there too. Oh, cool. And they've got them all in continuity too. Like so, like when an issue of Turtles is happening at the same time, this is what the Mutanimals were doing. So and it all it all links together too. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, they. Did. I need to go back and just rebuy them. I've got a lot. I've got I think ninety percent of the original Archie run. Yeah. But man, I bought those a long time ago. It's okay. I think we're gonna bite the bullet and maybe buy the collections too. <laughs> well, yeah, the collections will run you between like fifteen and twenty bucks. Yeah, maybe get one a month or something. Yeah, I mean, they've got two left. One just came out like two weeks ago, and there's one more coming out in, I think, October or something like that. And then that's all of the Archie series, because they ended at issue 60-something. Maybe it was 70. I'm I'm not 100%. So I don't know what they're going to do now with with the... I I would imagine that's why the uh, Image Comics is out now, because the Archie books is going to be done, you know? You know what would be amazing? Is if somehow they 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 call it Teenage Mutant Turtles Adventures again, maybe Volume Two or Volume Three at this point, mm-hmm. but it was all the Mirage crew. You know, how cool would that be? Oh, you mean them working on it? Yeah, Dan Berger, oh, Steve Murphy, Jim yeah. Lawson, because you know they want to do it. <laughs> you know? Well, I know that that was like Ryan Brown's baby, wasn't it? Was the whole adventure? Yeah, stuff? that's another. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah Ryan Brown. Especially Mutanimals. That was that was his from the ground up. That was his baby. Mm-hmm. And um, once the animated the Mutanimals animated series uh, was given the kibosh, he was just kind of like, "All right, well, we're done." And yeah. so, like, he had a final story arc. From what I understand, I think Thaddeus mentioned this. Uh, from what I understand, he had a final story. Like everything was leading up to something, and it was supposed to kick off at issue seventy something. Yeah. And the book was canceled. And by now it's been 30 years, and he doesn't know what he's gonna write. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what that was gonna be. So. Oh, see, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to get him on the show and maybe talk about that. That's one thing I feel bad for when we ask, yeah. <laughs> ask these creators anything, you know? Because it's like, like, hey, what was going through your mind 35 years ago? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of like, you know, especially with Jim Lawson, I love Lawson, man. But yeah. like, when I was eight years old and his comics or his characters had a huge impact on me and he was already 30 and sweating about making rents and so he was just <laughs> doing things as fast as he could and creating as much as he could and he was just like look i i i had to pay for my car you know i'm sorry <laughs> i don't i don't know <laughs> you know and it's upfront about it. They're not giving us a Stan Lee answer where it's just, oh, this is so amazing and yeah. And <laughs> Kevin Eastman was like, hey man, I kind of got lucky, you know? Yeah. I, don't, I, was, I don't know what I was doing. Uh, I kind of know what I was doing. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's so, you know, that's part of the reason. I think that's part of their charm too. It's like, yeah, they're, I know. they're just they're just telling you the truth. <laughs> they're kind of they're kind of like us if we got famous, you know? It's just kind of like that's interesting. Uh, how did it happen? I don't know. Y'all bought it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, just I threw it out there and somebody liked it and kind of went from there. <laughs> yep. We made a career out of making Marvel nerds mad. So. Oh, that's great. That's great. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of that, man, um, 
I guess I could tell you, uh, you know, I don't, you don't mind if I spoil some of the image books, do you? That's oh, pfft, no, they you have no care? bearing on anything now, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's fine. Well, I mean, it's not like a major plot spoiler, but I could not believe the brass ones they had. I was reading issue two. Oh, putting Wolverine in the book? Yeah, the, well, they called him the weasel or something. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, they cut his head off. <laughs> Dude, uh, you know, Pamiko, the crazy ninja lady? Yeah. She cut his head off. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, he's that calling everybody Bubba instead of Bub and stuff. I'm like, what the oh, heck? God, I, yeah. I said, this is incredible. I said, Josh will probably like this part. There's, yeah, man, finally. Uh, <laughs> there's a long history in comic books of doing just really quick rip-offs of characters and killing them immediately. Like, there was this great, like, the first time it happened, there is this... Not iconic, but I think it's amazing. There's this awesome Fantastic Four issue back in the 70s, and it was this cover, it was this beautiful cover of the thing chained down to the floor, and he's got his arms in chains, and he says, no, not you, and all you saw was the silhouette of the bad guy, and it was Batman's silhouette. No way, really? Yes. And then when you saw that panel in the book, and you saw it from Thing's perspective, it was a dude with, like, it was a dude, it was like, if I remember correctly, it was like a close-up image of a dude, and he had, there were like two telephone poles behind him, so it looked like he had the silhouette. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, that's did, one way to get people to buy the book. They did it purely to sell issues, yeah, because like, you know, everybody was just like, is this some kind of cross-comic book company yeah. thing? <laughs> It was done in the day when nobody wanted their heroes to cross over. You know, just like, Ah, "Eh, I don't want to see Batman fight the thing. Batman will die. (laughs) (laughs) Because Batman cannot beat the thing. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, oh, shots fired. (laughs) Batman can't beat... Shut up. Batman can't beat... (laughs) The dude is a superhuman, invulnerable rock man. What is he going to do with his karate? Well, uh, he could outsmart him and think he could himself somehow. Him, but all Thing has to do is just grab him. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Well, you can think of like 90%. Same thing with Bane. All Bane have to do is grab him. Yeah, that's what happened, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, hey, paralysis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got me on that one. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's right, why man. everyone's like, oh, Batman can beat Superman. It's like, if he had planning. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you're right there. So Batman's greatest strength is study time. So, <laughs> it's the power of studying. That it's day. after lunch between gym. Yeah, it's just study hall. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, all right, man. Uh, well, Batman. I will take us in. Um, we'll do the normal links and stuff, and then we can do the toy review, and then we'll read the interview. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Do you uh, want to do you want to talk about uh, the rise of the turtles thing at all? Um, you have a lot more knowledge about it than I do, so you have. I mean, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know shit. I just know. Sorry, I just, I <laughs> saw the trip because I've intentionally been like dark on everything just so I can be surprised by it. That's which is why I think I like the, I think that's why I like the trailer so much because it's, you know, we'll get there. Okay, cool. All right, yeah. Well, at least yeah, talk about the trailer and, and uh, you know, because that just came out when this week? Yesterday. Oh wow! Yesterday, okay. So yeah, really last great. night uh, they because uh, Comic Con is this weekend. Yeah, that's right, uh, San Diego, right? Yeah, it started Thursday and it goes through to tomorrow. And um, the Turtles panel was yesterday. And they, actually, I do want to mention one thing to you. They uh, teased a really cool miniseries from IDW coming out next year. So really, I want to get your thoughts on it. Okay, so. is it Turtles related? Yes, it is. It is 
very, very much turtles related. I think I I can't wait to hear your reaction. Oh, okay, yes. I think okay. I know what it's going to be. I think you're going to be like, what? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's almost like my Josh. Josh. <laughs> come on, come on, man. I don't know if I'm going to get that. I don't. I don't know. Looks pretty violent. But yeah, Kevin, I mean, it looks cool. Eastman did it. I, yeah, I know. I probably I'm not gonna get it right away. I'm sure it's one of those things where like I'm I'm gonna get it. Yeah. So like now that now that the book is written, I can I'm almost relieved. I can finally like I have a reason to stop buying action figures because like okay, book's written. You got to stop now. So, <laughs> well, until the glad. sequel. Yeah, until the sequel. I'm kind of glad. Yeah. Um, I did totally think for a brief second like why didn't I why don't I just start getting all the 2003 figures. Yeah, and, that, that's and, what and, a lot of people don't know about. And then, you know, two things really uh, happened to me. It's like, I really don't care about the 2003 figures because there's no nostalgic hook for me. And they're expensive, so I don't want to do that. That's true. That is true. <laughs> they, uh, there are so many more super expensive 2003 figures than there are 1988 figures. Isn't that crazy? They probably just didn't make near as many. They, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I remember, I remember the Turtle Eye, and maybe it's just nostalgia kind of playing tricks on me, but I remember the Turtle Eye when I was a kid being a lot bigger. I, I feel like there was a lot more variety um, in the early 90s than there was in 2003. I remember the Turtle Eye in 2003, but I don't remember it being an entire aisle. You know, even when the series came out, it was just one little section, kind of like what you see now. Yeah. Um, and well, I think for that, a while after the 2012 series came out, there was that turtle aisle again. Yeah, for, yeah, the whole aisle. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't. I think with the 2012 stuff, I don't think their their focus was on. And I'm gonna and and again, I don't know, and I'm gonna sound like I'm making fun of it, but I'm not. The, I don't think their focus was on necessarily action figures. I think their focus was on stuff. It's like let's make Ninja Turtles stuff. Like let's make action figures that turn into the weapons let's make football let's make, <laughs> let's make you know video games let's try you know there was a lot more just because i guess people don't play with action figures anymore that's a shame and i would i, I would too I, and i don't <laughs> i don't know but i mean like let's they they did a lot of just like not play sets but you know what i mean like they just made yeah. toys not action figures they made they focused on making toys and not like a specific type of toy right where there was definitely that market when we were kids but it was playmates and then everything else and all the other ninja turtle stuff when we were kids was like third party stuff like your periscope like yeah. that just, <laughs> it's like okay so i got a shoe box with a mirror in it with a turtle on the side <laughs> that's, that's, that's basically, basically what, what it is, is right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll give you that yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah, that's true. You you definitely see see a lot of that. Um, let's see. Erase this real quick. Okay, man. Well, I'm ready to record. If you are, I think we're we're ready to roll. All right. Yeah, I think we're ready to talk turtles. Already have been in the bloopers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> I'll take us in. Okay. Can you hear him, Josh? Yeah, he says it's broken. <laughs> That's right. Well, then maybe you shouldn't have broke it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not broken. What it is is um, he uh, he can't stand these little action figures on top of the, the carpet just right. And they fall over. And he goes, it's broken. Oh, okay. 
Alright, buddy. Uh, you gotta be quiet, okay? Daddy's recording. Okay. <laughs> Attaboy. <laughs> well, see, that's just that simple. Who, yeah. who knew? Yeah, so if you just ask him, what you about that? You have to ask a kid to be quiet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs>